I had an interest in starting a company, but I just had wasn't 100% sure where or what I wanted to do. And I think it took a journey of experiences to learn and see where the opportunities are. And I think if you're a real entrepreneur, you learn to, to develop that. Hi, and welcome to the Sliced Podcast, where we share startup stories from founders, investors, and CEOs from across the globe. A little bit about our platform, Startup Blog Post, is that we're a community where aspiring entrepreneurs and venture capital ecosystem stakeholders can share meaningful insights, engage with colleagues and peers, and stay informed. Hi, and welcome back to the Sliced Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Ahrens. Today's guest is Pierre Dubois, founder and CEO of Zamana Analytics. Zamana is a software service that reviews websites and marketing to support business objectives through digital marketing tools, social media, and analytics. Pierre founded Zamana in 2009 and remotely serves clients across the nation. Hey, Pierre, thanks so much for joining me. Hi, Emily. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. We are so excited. And I know you mentioned to me before the recording started that you're a little sleep deprived, so we extra appreciate the energy from you that you're going to bring. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I am excited to get started and kind of dive in. You have a very interesting background that I am excited to learn more about. So we're going to start from the beginning. Kind of tell me where you went to school and where your education started. Great. Well, my uh, I I'm, I'm I'm a mechanical engineer by background, mm-hmm. um, and that came from a big big desire to work in the car industry as an automotive engineer. Uh, my uh, undergraduate is from Prairie View A and M, go Panthers, uh, in Prairie View, Texas, um, and I worked at Ford Motor Company for eight years as a design development engineer. So That's I had cool. A, I I had a lot of responsibility with. Um, Ford Ranger and Explorer at that time, um, basically on the uh, on the frame, and then I did export certification on Explorer for a few years before leaving Ford. And then my business background is from an MBA from Georgia Tech, and so that I graduated in two thousand five. So you're from the South, then. <laughs> Is what I'm here. Well, <laughs> around the way, I've moved around a lot. Basically, um, I've, I've lived in uh, Detroit for a few years, Atlanta for a few years, Huntsville, Alabama for a few years. I had a I, when I did my MBA, I actually did a very short stig at Carnegie Mellon first before Georgia Tech. Uh, so that was a whole long story, um, and then I actually spent a little bit of time at Purdue before um, Prairie View. Um, so I was in West Lafayette, and I've, I've lived in different parts of the country doing different contract work. So I'm, I'm pretty, you know, pretty familiar with the United States now. <laughs> <laughs> That's very neat. So background is in engineering. Okay, and then I have a note here that it looks like you went into finance at some point. So not engineering. <laughs> Not quite. Well, it, 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 and this is kind of part of what got me to analytics. I'll, I'll share this. Um, my finance was in my um, MBA background. Um, and I had a real big dream. When I did my MBA. I was trying to do this big dream of doing venture capital. I had this grand, grand, grand dream of uh, starting a venture capital firm that would help minority businesses. Um, in fact, I actually did an internship with Axion USA, which is a micro lender. Um, that helps out small business. And one of the things I learned from that was that um, 
Well, my idea was great. Um, the problem was is that at that time, VCs were not really invested into minority businesses. They're doing better now than they used to because we're talking about 20, almost now, not quite 20 years ago, but close to. Right. Um, but, but at that time it was, it was the industries where minority businesses were, it was different from where VCs were um, investing. And so that kind of took me off the trail a little bit, um, but it was a good thing because that I would never have ran into um, using analytics and trying to leverage marketing as a way of having a conversation with small businesses earlier. Um, I'll say this real quickly. One of the challenges with uh, small businesses is that they are they need capital, but it's making the decision on when to um, when revenue and cash flow is coming through. And sometimes it's hard to get your get a really good fix on a problem. And sometimes you can get that problem identified too late. So you can have a correct answer, textbook answer, mm-hmm. but it comes almost when a business really can't do much of anything. So right. Well, that's actually my next question is kind of how Zamana got started and your early experiences there. And tell us a little bit more about the software and exactly the need that you're solving. Well, Zamana started uh, around, um, it was 2009. This was basically me in Brooklyn. I was in Brooklyn, New York. Oh, okay. Um, And I had, and, and I learned about analytics years before at a government contractor that was started by my cousin, Anita Williams. Um, they have 1,500 people under their uh, um, contracts, and one of the things that kept coming up was, how do we know that our partners and, and um, potential uh, uh, workers are connecting to us online? And that's where I learned about Google Analytics, uh, applied it to their website, and learned a little bit about what the business value was. Um, but I wasn't 100% sure that could be turned into a business. Fast forward. 2009, um, I had left left Lesco at that time. Um, had joined an advertising uh, firm called Havis. Um, short six months, I, I was there, and then six months later, they had layoffs. I was one of the people who was laid off. Welcome to New York. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was kind of like you know, hey, be there and get laid off. You know, what fun. Um, but at that time, I had been thinking about trying to start analytics as a, a business, and I decided. I, I said, hey, what the hell? Let's go after it. And I, I kind of knew there was a market, just wasn't sure if there was um, how big of it was, but it was the right decision. And that led me to um, working with clients who have needs around Google Analytics, um, around data. Um, today, uh, we're, we're working with not just also Google Analytics, but also our programming. Um, and we're working to kind of develop our own uh, uh, um, services as well to help um, small businesses on taking that data and making more strategic decisions. And this ties into all the discussion I have about VCs. That's this idea that the it's not just the decision itself that needs to be made. It's, it's the timing of it. And you need to be able to have data in order to make that happen. Right. I love it. So I am curious. So you were passionate, I'll say, about VCs early in your career. So then you became a founder yourself. What were your experiences as a founder then having to go to those VCs, say, for funding or to pitch to them? Or what was it like being on the other side of the coin? Um, You learn a lot about how you bootstrap. Um, That was a big, big part of this. Um, Bootstrapping, a lot of people, I'll be honest, a lot of entrepreneurs are are very romantic about the idea. They they beat their chest and go, wow, I can bootstrap. This is wonderful. Um, The challenge is that you have to be very, very efficient with your dollars. Um, Mm -hmm. And in a way that 
um, we don't, sometimes you don't see that when you have venture backing. If, if you've been following the, uh, the, uh, the annals um, fiasco uh, that, that went on, that's a very good example of how um, something can, you know, even though something looks great and it gets the right backing, if the product or service itself is totally off, that, that cascades into something much more, um, some, most times it doesn't turn into anything fraudulent, but in this that case, it, it, right. it's as suspicious as that. Um, when you bootstrap, you have, uh, it, there's more, it, there's this romanticism of more financial freedom, but it's really not real freedom. You just have to be very um, driven about sales and then very driven about when you, when people are actually paying you, uh, <laughs> how you're spending. It's easy to spend at something that might seem important at that moment, but it's really not, um, uh, how can I put it? It's not getting you ahead. Right. Uh, I think the third year we had, um, we were profitable, but it wasn't within all the sales that was making a difference. It was actually profits that was coming from um, uh, actual writing and content. And looking at banking fees, for example, there was a chance where, it, yeah, the fees were covered, but it, it could have been spent towards something else. Right. So I think when you bootstrap, you learn how to spend a little bit more effectively. You learn those mistakes and then learn how to adjust. And I think if you do that quickly, you survive. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like this is maybe a hard question to answer because I feel like you took a risk initially just, you know, being a first-time founder. But can you speak to a, a particular risk along your journey that you've taken and kind of, or an obstacle and how you ended up overcoming that? Yeah, I can. Um, it's, it's about, um, the, the, the hard risk I think is working remote and I'll, I'll explain why. That's this was, interesting um, because there's a lot of conversation around that right now. Yeah, it's, 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 I was, I was doing remote, frankly, um, it's, it's way before um, it was all this has happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was, it, it's, it's, it's difficult for a couple of reasons. You're, you're, you're constantly trying to prove to people what your brand is about. That's one part of it. Um, I think the second part becomes when you deliver, you don't have a full um, appreciation of where the customer, what the customer is doing there's 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 some things you can do you can ask questions and go through things with people but it's it's hard when you're not always there was a lot of times with clients that that uh, working with a client um you have to do things remote basically mm-hmm. um there was one year where we actually had more clients coming in to new york at that time we were in brooklyn um than we actually had within new york which is <laughs> interesting um but but a lot of it was um the, but it also said something about having a good strategy too. I think what, what you do to mitigate that risk is understanding, you know, if it's something that's brand new, you have to understand not just your market, but maybe in terms of, you know, are there people who are tech savvy and what's the likelihood that they could probably use that service? And it's, it is hard to know what that line is. If you're too early with something, people don't purchase. Mm-hmm. If you're too late, you're pretty much behind your competition, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but but a lot of the, the thing that made it helpful to mitigate that risk was the idea that people were already spending on websites to begin with. So that made a natural pull to get into the analytics part because now you can say, hey, here's something that can add value to what you are already investing in. That, that, that line of thinking was was very clear. It made it easy to, I don't want to say easy, but it, it made it, it made the risk of trying to sell a product or service that people really had not, couldn't conceptualize very well. You have to remember, analytics was 
was not brand new, but it, it was starting to bud in, 20, in 2009. Um, but it made it easy to take something new um, and mitigate the risk of being new by trying to relate it to something that people can kind of, um, uh, uh, um, not so much adopt, but people can kind of uh, appreciate. Um, can I give one quick example, one, oh, one other yeah. example too? You see this in products too. There was um, years ago, IBM had, um, there's a trend with computers where IBM, I think it was Aptiva, if I remember correctly, they took the computer and they sold it as a black computer. And if you remember, computers at that time were this putty white thing. Well, the reason they did that was because they wanted people to think of the computer as being a home appliance, no different than a refrigerator, well, no different than an oven or anything else. So by doing that, there's, you know, from an appearance standpoint, it made it much more palatable. So the thing I would tell someone if you're trying to take a risk is take a look around you. What is the analogy that your product or service has to something that a customer um, or target audience can relate to. And I think once you tie that in, it makes it easier to convey the value. If you try to give people, and particularly now because of so much media we have, if you try to give people too much, it's it can overwhelm and they can probably miss what the value is that you're trying to sell. And that's really important when you're talking about service. Yeah, so. absolutely. I like, I really like that example. Actually, I didn't know that about the computers. Yeah, that was a big deal. They, they were, they were there. I won't say they were absolute first, but they were, it was a big deal at the time. I, I can't remember that came before the, um, Apple with the coloring, but I do remember that was, uh, I had an IBM at Tiva, that's why I remember that, so. <laughs> I am curious, were you, did you have any mentors along your journey that helped you when you were first getting started, or were you reading a lot of books, or were you just kind of learning as you went? Because you can't really, I mean, can you go to school to become an entrepreneur? I, you, know, you can take classes, Ooh, good but... question. Um, I would say, I don't think you need to go to school to be an entrepreneur, However, and here's where the asterisk is, there's always an asterisk. Um, you, it does refine how you approach something. And sometimes you can make a better choice in how you approach it. Um, the people who mentored me, to be quite honest with you, one of my first clients, um, there was actually two sets of people who mentored me along the way. The first one was my cousin, Anita. Um, it kind of helps to have a cousin. So, <laughs> so I, can't, I can't front Family on that. Family is easy because um, you can just be your full self around them. <laughs> Well, yeah, but, but this was a cousin that I really, Anita and I really didn't know each other that well when we first, we didn't know each other really at all. Um, it was it was a happenstance I got the chance to work with her. She, um, I just graduated from Georgia Tech, uh, full story, and in looking for a job, um, my mom had mentioned, say, hey, you know, ask your cousin Anita, see if she knows somebody. I said, well, mom, I don't know who <laughs> she is, but, but Anita was very, very warm and very uh, inviting, and she originally was going to look at my resume just to look at it. And then she called me two days later and said, hey, we would love it if you could come and interview with us. And the thing was, was that they had to fight, they had to let go of some people at the time because there were 15 men. Um, and that story tied into how I learned about the analytics because it raised the question on how do you validate um, right. that people are actually looking at you as a company. Um, that was, that was a big pull, but, but her, but to your question on mentorship, she was the one that, um, pointed things out in terms, of, I just learned from her experiences more than anything else. I didn't try to overstep or anything, but I, but I learned a lot from her in terms of, uh, how to deal with people, 
Um, you know, even if you're a quiet person, introvert, there's a way that you need to size people up very quickly in business and know who you're working with. Mm -hmm. And then another person who mentored me, there's another Anita who I'm very proud to know. She was one of my first customers. Um, Anita Campbell from Small Business Trends. Um, great lady. She, it's her, her, her Small Business Trends is kind of like a baby Huffington Post, but it's, it's news written about small business for small business. Mm. And I originally did some articles for her just, you know, out of fun and everything. And she ended up being my first client because I actually, the day that I got to meet her in person, um, and this is a fun story. I'll share this. I hope I'm not being too long-winded here. No, but, I love it. I, um, I want to hear the story. <laughs> yeah, well, well, what happened was, um, Anita, I found out Anita was doing a conference in Las Vegas. And I was at, and, and through the entre entrepreneurship, I was on my last dollar. And <laughs> one of my right. friends um, happened to be flying out to Las Vegas. And he just said, you know, hey, man, there's a conference out here. Can you, um, uh, uh, can you uh, come? And it turned out to be the same conference she was going to. And I said, dude, if you can, you know, if you can put me up in a hotel, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll shine your shoes, you know, make breakfast, something, just, you know, get, get me out, you know, get, you know, meet me halfway and got to, got to fly out there, got to stay with my friend and stuff and got to the conference. Uh, it was, this, it was a consumer electronics show and Anita was at a booth and I walked up to her and we, you know, we talked and everything and she Asked, happened to ask a couple of questions about SEO, and it turned out she was she ended up being literally my first client. That's so cool. And, and I learned a lot from her. Basically, um, uh, to your question on mentorship, I learned a lot from her, which triggered how to learn with other people as I work with them. Mm -hmm. Most times, when you do analytics, you are not just looking at the metrics; you also are looking at the business itself. And trying to figure out what questions you're supposed to supposed to tie the metrics to. That it's KPIs basically. That's the that's the technical term. Um, so the idea is is that you you really need to under, as you do that you learn a little bit more about about people's businesses, a little bit more about how they operate, um, and a lot of the pain points as well. And I think this helped me out a lot more. I think this helped me out a little bit with the whole switching from VC to analytics because. I found that there was just a lot of things that businesses go through that need to be corrected or adjusted before they even think about trying to get capital from somebody. Um, so that that was it was a big eye opener for me, and it was something it was something that has not only helped me in working with people, but also helped in terms of planning for services and 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 for the future, basically. So cool! I love that. In a way, you have Vegas to thanks for your first customer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Yeah, it was it was happenstance. I really had to I really had to most times I'm work when, when working with people it's 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 remote and, and sometimes you don't it's not that you don't get to see people it's just sort of a um uh, uh it takes a bit to to match up and sometimes get on a schedule. And this was one of those things that worked out superbly. Hey everyone, it's Sam. I'm just stopping by to tell you about our new show, Portfolio Pitch. We sit down and talk to investors and get to know the people behind the investments. Go give it a listen on your favorite podcasting platform and let us know what you think by giving it a review on Apple Podcasts. Coming up, Pierre and Emily chat about how his entrepreneurship journey has changed and why you shouldn't skimp out on marketing. And I guess as a bona fide professional now in the analytics world and everything, do you see any interesting trends emerging 
there's there's a few. Um, right now, there's a whole debate about cookies. Uh, yes, there <laughs> is. That's right. Heard about. Yeah, the whole idea of uh, the cookie is going away. Right now, um, in fact, actually, I'm writing an article for CMS Wire on um, modeled conversions for Google Analytics. And basically, it's, it's a feature that predicts um, a trend based on the, uh, um, uh, there's attribution um, of traffic and there's a section of traffic that might be, uh, that you may not have a full um, uh, view of the data because it's either blocked or it's because of um, Apple ATT. Uh, that's that's uh, one of the protocols. And it's the idea that because you don't have, have the uh, third party cookies and you can't measure, um, there's some traffic you may not be able to attribute. And so what Google came up with is using uh, machine learning to help put together a model that might that can serve as an estimate for some of the uh, metrics within the uh, Google Analytics suite. Um, this is a trend that we're going to see more and more of. And it's not meant to be, um, uh, it, it replaces the cookie um, by being an estimate, basically. Okay. Uh, it brings into play machine learning. Um, so you have machine learning models, that's, that's a part of it. Um, it doesn't take away from intuition. You still need to have analysts um, and managers take a look at the data and decide um, what, what, you know, what is it telling you, basically. But it can give you a little bit of an estimate without uh, invading people's privacy, without doing something that would identify an individual within the data. That leads to my, my second trend that I think is going on, is that right now we, we, we still have a privacy um, debate going on. And I think now with um, different laws that have been passed, Virginia, Colorado, California, um, uh, it's, it's, it's becoming a little bit harder for, I think, for smarter businesses to make the adjustment. Um, that's something that that's, I think everyone's kind of worrying about right now a little bit in terms of uh, you have different laws and now how do you uh, match up? I think for the most part, it hasn't been too big of a problem. I've, I haven't personally looked at Colorado, Virginia, and, Cal and California made, made the comparison, at least not yet. Um, but there's potential basically now. Um, um, the good thing I think that will come out of that though, is that this idea of trying to scale, um, I think we're learning now that we can't, um, I think, how, what's the best word, way to say it? I think we're, we're learning that there's a limit to scale. And let me explain what I mean by that. Um, there was this big belief back in 2009, ironically, that um, uh, some businesses um, felt that, you know, hey, if I'm online, I must be servicing the world. I can go everywhere. Everyone wanted to be the next Facebook. Fast forward to now, we're seeing that by growing too big, that you are allowing uh, bots, uh, if, you're, if you're dealing with social media, to uh, dictate uh, how you engage. Uh, Facebook, you know, Facebook has 3 billion people, which sounds fascinating. It's still fascinating. But they're also learning that not all 3 billion people are A, a customer, B, um, somebody who wants to see an ad, or, or C, someone who wants to do business um, on Facebook to, to, to a customer. And so that leads into, you know, how do you um, uh, uh, keep yourself from being, dealing with bots, with, um, with uh, bad actors, um, and, and misinformation as well? And I think companies are going to be thinking a little bit more about, okay, what's the right scale? What is the scale that I should be doing so that way I'm not uh, creating regulatory problems. I'm not creating um, life problems for uh, people in terms of uh, uh, technology and, 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 and the impact from it. I mean, we're, we're really now seeing this now. And I think it's making people think a little bit about 
what's the right way that I operate as a business? Um, and I think the third thing we'll see is that the idea of tech being something separate is, is pretty much gone in some ways. Think about right now, the auto industry right now, you have people waiting for chips for automobiles. And, you know, that's, and as a car guy, this is unheard of. You, you don't halt production unless you don't have steel, unless you don't right. have a, a, you know, a, you com- keep, or a component that's supposed to be about the automobile. Yeah, and today's cars are much more, um, uh, much more digital. But there's the, the processors in those vehicles are much more capable. Capable. Mm-hmm. A car is almost pretty much a rolling sensor. So, um, so, but but not having chips and holding a production that changes a, a lot of strategies in terms of what how the automakers have to operate to to continue. So, so we're seeing this. Um, so I think we got three things that are going on, you know, in terms of, you know, cookies and, mm-hmm. and trying to get past that. We'll see more machine learning, um, privacy, how to, how companies can think of their small businesses, how they can protect people's privacy a little bit better, which means you need to understand your data a little bit better and where it's, what the whole data flow is in your organization. And then uh, seeing technology as essential and not necessarily as a separate thing, which right. that dictates the resources you have and how you are um, uh, using those resources in your company. So much wisdom, Pierre. I hope our listeners were listening to that. <laughs> <laughs> so much wisdom. I am curious, when you take a look back at your entrepreneurial career, like from 2009, do you feel like your view of what that means has changed? Hmm. Um, in terms of how I see, um, like myself or how I see, uh, um, the industry or just I can ask. like what people think of an entrepreneur, like what you first thought that would look like when you got started. Yeah. Um, that's a good, that's a terrific question. Thank you. Um, I would say it's, it's in some ways it's changed in some ways, but, um, I think there's there's also a scramble going on. Let me let me I'll explain the change first, then the scramble. <laughs> uh, the change that's happening is that we we are starting to pay more attention to minority um, or, or people of color and women uh, in business. I think um, I try not to say minority, so forgive me about that. Um, but I think for for people of color, I think there's more attention. There's more eyebrows open to it now. Um, in fact, this ties into the presentation I've, I've, I've been working on a little bit. Um, we have more data that's more visible that shows that um, Black consumers exist, mm-hmm. but that really has been there for a long time. Go back to Ebony, Jet, Black Enterprise, even Soul Train. You had these mediums where um, um, the Black community, after the civil rights, um, we could go and talk and 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 see you know artists and and see things of interest and this and you had consumers that were built around this basically the problem was is that it was that the visibility of it was not as wide as what we see now mm-hmm. um, and that that wideness comes from the internet it comes from social media um, it becomes it, there's a stronger presence and it's a presence that's what's more visible. And, and I don't mean to put it just on black consumers. You can see that if you look at Hispanic, um, Hispanic consumer base. So if you look at the LGBTQ community as well, also there's, there's more, there's more data on the spend, which allows a stronger argument to say, Hey, look, you have a community of interest. You need to not only, um, 
service that community, but also take a, pay attention to the issues around those communities. Um, and I think that's really, really important. Um, so I think so I think that helps. I think it's helped helped highlight a lot of things mm -hmm. for people. And I think it helps for entrepreneurship in terms of investment. Um, where I think it kind of gets a little mushy is that um, because of the internet, because of um, um, people, are, because software is, is becoming much more um, widespread, a lot of times people are experimenting with uh, products or services that may not necessarily be a benefit or maybe just more of a duplication. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. Like, like right now, there's a lot of people who are interested in Bitcoin and, and, and um, uh, all the uh, currencies. But not everyone who who will approach you if if you want on Instagram and sit Bitcoin, I can guarantee you there's there's a lot of uh, <laughs> nefarious people trying to sell you something basically from that. Right. Um, so you have to be. So you had. I think it's 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 about being much more discerning. Um, there was always this thing about um, about black consumers about black economics, and when you look at economics, it's not just selling something and having a consumer. Um, and having a consumer spend, I mean, it's great to have a market, but it's also about looking at products and services that builds an economy. Um, and you have to look at that for any group that you look that, that you're looking at. And unfortunately, I think there's it's just this thing where we have more options and more choices. And I think we have to think about what those options and choices are. I think from in terms of um, uh, you know what would be beneficial in the long term. Um, and also, you know, if you think about um, uh, the ecology, just in terms of uh, what products and services may have an impact on um, our environment, that's going to be also important too. Right. Making smart choices as well. So, so I say we have more opportunity, but at the same time, that more choice, we're, we're still sorting on what's beneficial and what and what what works, basically. Right, because more opportunity doesn't necessarily mean more viable opportunities, or really the opportunities that you should be taking. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, right. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, I also have a fun little fact here that says uh -oh. that you <laughs> no, it's fun. <laughs> says that you have <laughs> co-authored some motivational materials books. Yeah, um yes, I have been I've been a, I was a co-author on a book called Faith, Failure and Success. Um and this was the second book I've done for 220 Publications. It's a, a company based out of Chicago. Um and it's it's sort of an interesting one. Uh, one of the co-authors, uh, Glenn, who is the um, publisher, um, I met him through a very wonderful woman, uh, Julie Holloway, who's a great uh, artist and everything else. In fact, she was the one that brought me on for the first book, um, The Entrepreneur Within. And Glenn liked what I wrote there and just came back to me a few years later and said, hey, Pierre, we're doing a different type of anthology, anthology here. Could you uh, write a chapter for that? And my chapters are a little bit more pragmatic. I tend to be, um, um, I'm one of these entrepreneurs that if you ask me for a tip and a piece of advice, I'm going to give you a tip and a piece of advice. I'm not going to sit and give you a whole right. lot on, um, uh, uh, I always get a little, I'm not uncomfortable with interviews, but it's just kind of, I'd like giving people real advice that they can actually like think about and build on. So, um, um, so I wrote a chapter for that book, um, but I've, I've been a co-editor on books before, and I was actually writing a book on our programming earlier. Um, it was supposed to be for Arati Media, but unfortunately that, that, that did not come out. Um, but I'm actually taking the art pieces from that and coming up with a book of my own uh, shortly as well, too. That'll be an analytics book. Uh, with a lot of great tips and everything else. So 
right now it's take it's a little bit slow going but i'm trying to take advantage of of a lot of the um uh, uh ups and downs during this uh covid period and kind right, of get something refocus I, yeah yeah wow well, yeah no wonder you're sleep deprived you're writing a book in your spare time <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's 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 um it's a little hard the one thing i found that's helpful is um you can dictate now into like evernote and microsoft yeah. word and i add that saves a lot of time because um, right. you can get the ideas out and then you're really focused on trying to organize and and kind of get some clear and you can actually come up with a a lot of great material um i've actually started posting things on medium and as a start awesome. and we'll have something we'll have something out next year so it's still a little bit off right now because i'm still um uh, there's been changes on some of the machine learning frameworks i just found out that a uh, torch has been introduced for our programming so i'm kind of going back through some things mm -hmm. and, and kind of figuring out what should be in the book that might be helpful versus what might could be left out sure. and so we're so working on that for right now very cool. Well, you mentioned advice. So in closing, I feel like you have some great advice. Is there anything you would tell an entrepreneur who is just getting started in their journey or maybe something that you wish you knew when you were just getting started? Good question. Um, I would say um, if you're an entrepreneur, um, do not skimp on your marketing. Uh, that That's one part of it. There's a temptation to cut marketing at the very beginning. Don't do it. Um, be very selective on your customer base. Do not try to sell something just to sell it. Um, I'm very anti-multi-level marketing. I can't stand, I'll, I'll, I'm not going to curse, but I can't stand, <laughs> I really can't stand this though. Uh, um, it, it's, it's the reason I, the reason I can't stand them is because there's a tendency, I, in the book I mentioned about faith, failure, success, that's the first time in 12 years I actually mentioned it. I kind of always kept that as a quiet thing. Um, the reason I don't like them is because there's there's a tendency to focus on selling without really looking at margins and really looking at um, uh, your market. It's just it, and it usually attracts people who are just focused on the selling. And I think right now, as I tying into what I said earlier, you need to be more strategic about who you're selling to and what you want to sell to. What are you selling that, that's really uh, servicing the community and servicing the world at large? If you don't have anything, it's okay. To, and I'm going to say this, this is my third tip. It's okay if you don't, if it's not visible immediately. I never imagined in my, my childhood, um, I had this idea about being an automotive engineer, but I never imagined anything with computers. I never mm -hmm. imagined anything with programming. I never, and, and I had an interest in starting a company, but I just had, wasn't 100% sure where or what I wanted to do. And I think it took a journey of experiences to learn and see where the opportunities are. And I think if you're a real entrepreneur, you learn to, to develop that. I don't think it's about selling things arbitrarily. I think it's about really putting some critical thought into what you're doing and getting it off the ground. If you can't, if it's not apparent to you, it's okay. This is a very weird, this right now is a very weird time. And I just think that it's, it's, it's a challenge for all of us to, to not just be reflective, but also think about what works and what may not necessarily be as necessary as before. Um, so those are quick tips. Love it. Um, yes. Go at your own pace. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think that's really, I think for right now, I think that's about it. I think those are, are the easier ones. Yeah. Um, well, thank yeah. you. Thanks. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to add that I maybe missed? Wow. Um, I would say, um, 
if you want to learn more about programming, um, I'll, I'll, I'll touch about this for a little bit too, because um, analytics is sort of a subset of uh, development. It's, it sits in nexus between business decisions because uh, you're making decisions on metrics and, and uh, dimensions. But in a lot of cases, there also it's also a little bit of web development. So you need JavaScript to put Google Analytics on a web page. If you're using R programming, you need to be a little bit familiar with syntax. Python is a, is a deep programming language. Um, the thing I would tell someone now is if you're going to build something with software and it's probably likely given the world that we're in, um, there's a lot of great resources out there. Um, Twitter, um, there's different communities on Twitter. If you follow different hashtags, just type in something like your language that you're interested in and see what groups are out there and then get, and get involved. Um, there's a lot of great people who are willing to help you just at least, you know, at least get an idea of what things are. Um, and there's a developer community is there's still a little bit of rough spots, but particularly around data science, there are a ton of people that are very helpful, um, very thoughtful, and they're, they're there to, for you to bounce ideas off of. No, if you're very serious about what you're doing, they'll be very serious with you mm -hmm. back. And that, that's, that's helpful. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Pierre. This was wonderful. You're such a wealth of knowledge. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me, Emily. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Sliced Podcast. If you're interested in sponsoring an episode of Sliced, please email newsroom at startupblogpost.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.